All right, you guys are loving each other too much now. Come on, come on, get back to your seats now. <laughs> Remain standing with me as we go into the Word of God, as we continue our health series this Sunday. We're in part three, I believe, part three, am I right? And we're going to go to Mark chapter three, verse 13. And this is what the Word of God says to us this morning. Jesus went up to the mountainside and called to him those Notice that he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the names. Notice, I want you to really pick this up. These are the twelve he appointed. I'm going to do my best to read these names out. Simon the one he called Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And I want you to pick up on verse 18. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. Verse 19. And Judas... And Judas, Iscariot, who would betray him. I want you to notice something. Jesus gave authority for them to preach. Jesus gave authority for them to do miracles and cast out demons. To all the twelve, including Judas, who wasn't even saved. Today I want to speak to you on this title. So close, yet so far. Let's pray. Father, bless this word in Jesus' name. We thank you for our church family. I ask that you would help us to understand, to live this message out, and open our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. As we get into this third part of our series I want to talk about this subject so close, yet so far. That term, so close and so far, it's a saying that is often meant to express sadness, pain and regret, and even failure. So close, so far means you were so close, yet you missed it. You failed. It didn't happen. How many of you, by a show of hands, can think about a so close, so far moment in your life? All of us have one. Let me, let me show you what my so close and so far moment was. It was just last year, right before COVID hit, I got an invitation by email to go to, to this fishing exposition out in Orlando. And these were going to be all the greatest of fishing companies were going to be there. They were going to sell merchandise and fishing products, almost 70 to 90%. This was an invite only. I got the email. I was excited. I told Danny about it. I said, Danny, let's get ready. Let's go. We just packed up the car. That same, after that same weekend, we packed up the car. We drove out to Orlando. We made sure that we booked a hotel. We went early to make sure we didn't miss it when the 
doors finally opened because we planned to just wipe out the whole place with merchandise. We were going to get free stuff. How many of you love free stuff? All right, we were going to get free stuff and stuff at discount. I was so excited that I said, I'm going to even get some of this other stuff. I'm going to put it on offer up. I'm going to make a profit. This is going to be huge. This is going to be amazing. We drove all the way to Orlando. We parked in the parking lot. We walked all the way to the convention center. There it was. It was amazing. I looked inside. I saw all the vendors, the fishing rods, the items, the clothing. I said, man, this is going to be awesome. I had a bag. I was ready to go I went up to the counter and I said okay where do I where do I what do I do and she said what's your name and I said my name's David Pereira I was excited and Danny was right behind me excited and she looked down the list and she said I don't have that name here and I said, no, no, I know, I, but, but it should be there because I, I got the email. And she said, yeah, but did you click accept to confirm? And I said, what? <laughs> and she said, I'm sorry, but I can't let you in. That's my so close, so far moment. I never went in. And one of the worst places to be in is to see what you wanted, but you couldn't get it. And I saw everyone in there laughing and smiling and, and everything, just having a good time. And I was left out there with my brother, rejected. Because I failed to click accept, to confirm. And I, I, I was mad, disappointed. But the truth is, I realized two things. One, it was my fault. I should have accepted. And two, that day, one thing brought to my mind. One scripture. Revelations 20, verse 14 through 15. And it says, then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. That's hell. This lake of fire is the second death. Notice verse 15. And anyone whose name was not found. Notice anyone whose name was not found. Recorded in the book of life was thrown into that lake of fire. You see, that day I realized that many people are going to have that same experience I had at that fishing expo, except it's going to be with eternity. And many people, they're going to think that their name is written in the book of life. They're going to know, they're going to believe that they're on their way to heaven. They're going to be excited about it. They're going to make plans for it. They're going to imagine how great it's going to be. And the day of their death comes, they're going to assume their name is on that book. That name is on that list. And that angel is going to say, I'm sorry, I can't find you. And so many people, like myself, in that expo, they're going to have that so close, yet so far moment. See, all of us in life, we all have regret. Some regret is minor. You get over it. Other regrets, they, they last a while. They make an impact in your life. 
But church, I want to just share with you something interesting. There's only one regret in your life that will have eternal consequences. And that regret is not accepting Jesus Christ as your true Lord and Savior. That is the only regret that you take with you to the grave. You take with you to eternity. It is the only regret that's eternal. You see, when when you die, you're not going to regret and wish you had more time. When you die, you're not going to regret and say, I wish I would have made more money. You're not going to regret and say, I wish I would have checked off more off my bucket list. You're not going to regret and say, man, I wish I would have taken that opportunity. You're not going to regret and say, I wish I had that house. I should have driven that car. I should have done this, worn that, bought that, traveled here. The greatest and only regret you're going to have is not accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And what will come to mind is every opportunity you had. The same way I got that opportunity through email to click accept, I quickly just rejected it because I didn't pay attention. And a lot of people are rejecting Jesus because they're not really paying attention about eternity. People aren't really paying attention about death. In fact, a recent NBC poll was reached out and it said that 57% of people in America do not think about death. They don't think about it. And I want to just shock you for a minute. Another post said, 100% of people die. Shocking. Yet 56% don't think about it. When asked with those 56%, why? 34% of the 56 says, because it terrifies me. So we have a portion of people, millions of people here in the U.S., terrified of death, so they just don't think about it. Ecclesiastes says in chapter 3, verse 2, Solomon, he said, there is a time to be born. And there is a time to die. Solomon said there is a time to die. Now Solomon, if you don't know who he was, Solomon was the wisest person that ever lived. God gave him wisdom beyond any existence in our our history. Solomon, because of this great wisdom, he was so wise, he became so wealthy, so powerful, so influential. People from all over the world travel just to hear him speak. You will never find anyone in history more wealthy, more powerful, more influential in all of our lifetime. And yet Solomon said, I'm going to die. Powerful people die. People of influence Die. All types of people die. And that's why I want to illustrate this through these candles. You're probably thinking, what is going on? What kind of seance is he going to do? What is this? Listen. When you think, no seance, when you think about death, 
I want you to remember the candles. Because on this table, there's all types of different candles. We have scented, unscented. We have nice and classy and some a little scary. We have big, we have small. We have colorful, we have white, we have red, we have green, we have orange. We have tiny, we have bigger, we have fatter, thicker. And all these candles are different. All these candles have a different purpose. All of these candles were molded differently. Yet all of these candles have all this in common. Eventually, if we wait long enough, all of these candles are going to burn out. Folks, we have a world where all of us are unique. All of us are different. We have rich people, poor people, middle class. We have gay, we have straight, we have religious, we have agnostic, we have atheist, we have Republican, we have Democrat, we have independent, we have black, we have white, we have Cuban, Puerto Rican, Dominican. We have all types of different people, white people, black people, black haired people, blue eyed people. We have all types with different abilities, different talents, different strengths, different uniqueness. But here's the common factor about all of mankind. All of us will burn out. All of us will die. And the difference is, all of these candles will burn out, but they will all burn out at different moments in different times. But they still burn out. All of us are going to die, and we're going to die at different times. But Solomon said, the time will come. You just don't know when, and you just don't know how. See, it takes a one moment to realize you're dying. Can I tell you, all of us right now are dying. It could be a phone call and the doctor tells you through a visit, you have cancer. And just like that, you realize, man, death is real. It can catch you by surprise in a tragic accident. It could happen at any moment. It happened in 2020. One little disease from China made its way all around the world where millions died. At any moment, death comes. Young, unborn, old, middle-aged, no matter who you are, what you've done, you will burn out. And no one will talk about you one day. No one will remember you one day. Your grave one day is going to be overgrown, falling apart. Flowers won't arrive anymore. You'll be written off in history. And your real life begins in eternity. You may not want to think about death, but it doesn't stop it from happening. You may not want to think about eternity, but you're going to go there. You may not want to think about heaven or hell, but it's real. And it will happen. 
See, my burden as a pastor is really having the confidence that everyone at Forward truly knows Jesus Christ, really has a relationship with Him. Because I don't want that moment, like me and Danny going to Orlando, I don't want that confidence that you think you're saved, you have plans when you're in heaven, you know that you're going to be there, only to find out it wasn't real for you. That you were just a churchgoer. That you just listen to sermons. But death will come. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verse 22. Again, he asked, what should I compare the kingdom of God to? Now, I want you to pick something up here in Luke 13, 22. Jesus went through the towns and the villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. But look at verse 23. Sorry, verse 22 and 21, 22. He went through, and notice, it's like a yeast of a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all the way through dough. Now, I want to explain something to you about this passage. Jesus was asked a question. Jesus was asked, what's the kingdom of heaven like? What's it going to be like? And Jesus says it's small. It starts off small. It's like a little faith of seed. A little seed of faith can change your entire life. But many people don't take that opportunity. In fact, throughout the scriptures, Jesus talked more about hell than he did any other subject. Jesus said at one point in the book of Luke, One of the disciples asked, Lord, how many people are going to get saved? How many people? And Jesus said, narrow is the gate that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. See, Jesus said, you know what? Not many. A lot of people are going to be destroyed because many people are going to think it's different ways. And Jesus says, there's going to come a point that a door is going to close. And when this door closes, your opportunity of finding Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is gone. And Jesus always made a reference about hell, and he always said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you're probably thinking... Pastor, what does it mean when Jesus spoke about hell and he says it's a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth? The reason you grind your teeth is three reasons. Pain. You ever hit yourself with a hammer and you grind your teeth? Anger. When you're so angry, you just clench your mouth. And regret. When you miss an opportunity, a natural reaction, you just go, I can't believe I didn't do this. When Jesus said hell is a place of gnashing teeth, it's because hell is a place of true physical pain. And it's not just the physical pain you experience in hell. It's also the emotional. You will be angry at hell, but you're not going to be angry at God. 
You're not going to be angry at your pastor. You're not going to be angry at the church. Your anger comes from yourself. You're going to be angry with every opportunity you had. You're going to be angry because you're going to think about the excuses you made. You're going to be angry because you're going to realize, I can't believe I did not click accept. I did not receive Jesus Christ because I was too busy. I wanted to work. I was more involved in the world. I wanted pleasure. I thought it wasn't real. I thought it was fake. I thought the church was hypocritical. I thought it was crazy. I thought it was radical. You'll be angry at yourself because you're going to remember every opportunity, every sermon. You're going to remember me. You're going to remember this Sunday. You're going to remember the candles. You're going to remember me giving the invitation to come to the altar to receive Jesus. And you're also going to remember the excuse as to why you didn't. Hell is a place of regret where many people will live with regret. But hell is also a place filled with people. But you might say, yeah, I know it's filled with people, but it's filled with the worst of the worst. It's filled with people that were bad, Pastor. But Jesus says that hell is a place filled with people that thought they were saved. Listen, church, hell is filled with people that thought their name was on the list to heaven. They thought they were in there. And I believe that no one in our lifetime has more regret in hell than Judas. You probably think, well, Pastor, why is that? It's because Judas, he's gnashing his teeth right now as I preach. Because he was so close to Jesus, yet so far. You think about this, but Judas walked with Jesus. Judas was used by Jesus. Judas was anointed by Jesus. Mark 3, what the opening verse says, that he called the 12, he anointed the 12, he told the 12 to preach, he gave the 12 power and authority, he gave the 12 the ability to cast out demons. It did not exclude Judas. So Judas preached like I do. Judas walked with Jesus. Judas listened to the sermons like you are right now. Judas was anointed. Judas, he saw the miracles. He saw the lame walking. He saw the blind were able to see he was there. He saw Jesus walking on water. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead. He saw Jesus feed 5,000 with little, 4,000 with little. He saw Jesus cast out demons. But not only did Judas see the miracles, Judas did the miracles. Not only did Judas hear the preaching, Judas preached himself. And out of the 11, sorry, out of the 12, If anyone should have been the chief, the leader, the hierarchy of that ministry next to Jesus, it should have been Judas. 
And you're probably thinking, why? Well, Judas was different from the other 11 disciples because the other 11 were from a place called Galilee. Now, Galilee was like saying a small town in the middle of nowhere. And it was full of these roughneck people. Galilee was a place of dirty fishermen. It was, it was a place for blue collar. It wasn't much. But Judas was different because Judas was from a place called Judea, which is the capital city of Jerusalem. And when you go to Judea, it was surrounded by holiness. It was surrounded by godly things. The temple was there. All the religious festivals were there. All the religious holidays were celebrated right there in Judea by Jerusalem. All the religious people, all the religious people were there. It's like saying that Judas, he grew up in the church. Judas went to Sunday school. Judas heard the sermons. Judas was always around the religious things. Judas was always around the law of God. But see, the other 11, they were not. So if anyone out of the 12 should have been the one that was saved and leading the ministry was Judas. But what happened? John 6, 64 tells us. He says, yet there are some of you, he said to the disciples, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which one of them did not believe and who would betray him. Church, you could be in church right now. And not be a believer. Judas did all the ministry. He preached. He anointed. He saw the miracles. Did the miracles. Heard the sermons. Preached the sermons. He was around all of the godly things. Yet the entire time, he really really never believed in Jesus. He never truly turned his life to the Lord. See, many people can be in the church. Many people can be in the church. Many people can see miracles happen. You could have knowledge of Jesus. You could believe he existed. Judas did. He knew Jesus existed, but he never believed that he was a sinner and needed to turn his life to the Lord. He never had that saving faith. If we never believe and put our faith in Jesus Christ, ultimately you turn your back on Him. Ultimately you just walk out of the faith. Why? Because you truly never believed. Let me show you this in Scripture. John chapter 2, verse 19. The Bible says, These people left our what? Our churches, meaning these people were in the church. That's us. These people left our churches. Now, this is John sending out a letter to this church because all these people just walked out in the faith. They walked out of the church. 
And you think, well, pastor, isn't that okay? Yeah, if you leave the church to go to another church, that's absolutely fine. But these people were leaving the churches and they were going back to the world, back to their old life, back to their sin. And there was confusion. Well, wait a minute. They were here in the church. They were listening to the sermons. They were helping. They were serving. Why are they leaving? Why are they gone? Why are they back in the world? We need to ask John why. And John writes this letter. You see, this is a crazy service today. Because the devil doesn't want you to hear this. I'll keep preaching. The people were confused as to why. And John writes the letter back to them and he says, listen, it's simple. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us, not stayed in our church. They would have stayed serving Jesus. But they left because they weren't really with us. See, as a pastor, I see people leave the church all the time, left this church. In the 12 years we've been in the church, more people have left than have actually come. More people have left the church than have come. And some people have left and they've gone to other churches and they're still serving other churches and they're still working. That's great. But see, there are those that have left the church and they're back out in the world. They stopped serving God altogether. They're not even in any church at all. They're not even serving or nothing. And I ask myself, were they really saved or not? And the answer is not. They left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong to us. People started off in that church, and they left and stopped serving God. Because they never truly belonged to Jesus. If you're not truly a believer of Jesus in the church, ultimately you're going to turn your back on this. You're saying, well, pastor, why were they even in the church in the first place? Wrong motives. Why did Judas accept a calling to be in ministry with Jesus? Wrong motives. Judas thought by following Jesus, he's going to be king one day. And even though Jesus was king, Judas had another idea. He thought he would be a physical king to rule the the world. Judas saw this as a powerful opportunity to become powerful. Judas saw this as a way to get rich. Put more money in my pocket. Judas saw this as a way to gain influence, wealth, and power. You see, Judas did what a lot of people do in the church today. They come to church because they want something from God. 
And it frightens me how the church has veered off the gospel and is just preaching this health, wealth, and everything else and prosperity. Why? Because they're trying to draw people to say, if you follow Jesus, you'll never be sick. You're going to be rich. You're going to have a purpose. You're going to have power. You're going to have money, influence. Your life's going to go great. You have, you're going to be positive. Your life's going to be easy. Who wouldn't want Jesus then? So the church is filled with people that are there for wrong motives. Judas did the same thing a lot of us do. You see Jesus as someone to use, but not someone to serve. You see Jesus as someone to use, but not someone to serve. And it's frightening because like Judas, so many of us can be so close to Jesus. And you hang out in the church and you hang out with other believers and you listen to the sermons. You can be so close, yet so far, and yet time is running now. You will burn out. But you're so far from the Lord. And you're saying, well, pastor, how do I know? I'm not like Judas. How do I know? I'm really saved. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus talked about eternity and he said this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's just pause there for a second and take that in. Jesus made it clear, not everyone that sounds like a Christian, talks like a Christian, thinks he's a Christian, will enter heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, what is the will of God? The will of God is that you not perish. And the Bible is clear, how do you not perish? By repenting of your sins. And turning your life to Jesus, putting all your faith in Him who is the only way to heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And Jesus goes in further and He says, Many will say to me, many, that term many is by the billions. Many will say to me on that day, the day of what? The day of your death, judgment, the day you burn out. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Can we pause there go back for a second, Barbie? He says, didn't we do this and that? You see, if your confidence is in what you did, you're not saved. Because the Bible is clear that it it is not by works that you're saved so that no one can boast. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. And if you go into the judgment seat there and you're looking at Jesus and the last thing that comes out of your mouth is I repented of my sin and I put my faith and trust in Jesus, you can say I went to church, I prayed, I listened to the sermons, I died, I gave money, I helped out in the church, I had a friend that was a Christian. But see, all these people only said what they did. 
They were boasting about what they did. And Jesus said to them right after this, verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. That word know in the Greek is a word gonosko. literally means to know someone through a relationship. What Jesus says, he's going to look at people clearly and said, yeah, you did this and you did that, and you went to church and you prayed and you did miracles, you did all of that, but you and I never had a relationship. Many people do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only way you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ is by repenting of your sins. Well, I'll explain in a moment what that means. But it's by repenting of your sins and turning to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. Jesus says, I will declare to you plainly, I don't know you. Depart from me, you who practice Lawlessness. You who practice evil. See, I'm confused about Christians or people that profess to be Christians, yet one of the telltale signs Jesus says you're not saved is you have a practice sin in your life. All of us sin. All of us sin. The Bible says that all of us sin. Even when you're saved, you're going to sin. But the difference is when you have practicing sin is where you know you're sinning. You know it's wrong before God. But that word practice, I want you to notice, go back to that verse. I want you to notice that Jesus used that word in the present tense. How many of you noticed that? He didn't say practiced. He used it in the present tense because in the present tense, it means sin in your life that is ongoing, that you never repent of, that you never change. And you just keep doing it because the Holy Spirit is not really in you. Therefore, if the Holy Spirit is not really in you because you're not saved, you have no conviction, you have no willingness to turn from that sin. If you have practicing habitual sin in your life, you cannot say, I am saved. You just can't. But Jesus said, these people, they prayed. They casted out demons. They did miracles. And you're probably thinking, well, pastor, how? You know, I used to think that these people were able, Jesus says it clearly. Did the Bible not say in this verse that these people casted out demons? Did the Bible not say that these people, they saw and they did miracles? And you have to ask yourself, how does an unsaved person cast out demons? How does an unsaved person perform many miracles? See, and I used to think, well, it's because the devil did it. No, because the Bible says clearly the devil doesn't cast out other devils. He doesn't divide his kingdom. See, Jesus said, in my name they did this. There is power in the name of Jesus. Whether you're saved or unsaved, the name of Jesus remains to be powerful no matter who says it. It is the name of Jesus. But here's the frightening thought. 
That means that you can proclaim the name of Jesus. You can see miracles and do miracles and do all of that and still be far from God. Matthew 15, 8, it makes perfect sense now why Jesus says these people, they honor me with their what? Their mouth, their lips, but their hearts is far away from me. And maybe that's you this morning. You say, well, pastor, I know I'm saved. Why? Because I've been used by God. I have felt it. I've seen miracles in my own life. But what if those miracles did happen in the name of Jesus, but they came out of lips that were far away from him? Isn't this frightening now? Because I was confused and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought only Christians can do that. No. The name of Jesus can do that. But anyone can say the name of Jesus. You say, well, pastor, how do I know I'm not like Judas? How do I know I'm not just doing this to to get something from God, but not really serve him for who he is? Evidence of salvation. It's not in what you say. It's not in saying, you know, we, we say this because we tell people, oh, just, just say this little prayer and you'll be saved. Or, or people say, no, I know I'm a Christian because, and they say it. The evidence of salvation is not what comes out of your lips because you can say the right things and still be far from God. That's Matthew. The evidence of salvation is not in what you say, but in how you live. Can I say that one more time so you get it? The evidence of salvation is not what you say, but how you live. Notice Jesus says, away from me, you who practice evil. These people were saying the right things. Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Oh, they sound great. Let me tell you, when I read Matthew's account of these people, I said, man, I wish those people were in my church. Because they're casting out demons. They're doing miracles. They're preaching. But their hearts were far. The evidence of true salvation is not in what you say, but it's in how you live. You don't live right to get saved, but you live right because you are saved. Is that clear? Because a lot of churches, they don't preach this anymore. But I'm not going to heaven with a guilty conscience over you. You heard the truth in this ministry. Practicing sin with no repentance is evidence of a lack of salvation. Let me show you in the scriptures, 1 Peter 4 through 1 4. It gives us a little evidence of salvation. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, now he's saying this to the church, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. You know, when you're, when you're truly saved, your attitude changes. Your attitude reflects more of that of Jesus Christ. Some of you already know I'm not saved then because I know my attitude. And I'm not saying you have a bad day, you're cranky, you're moody, and your attitude, We're, we all have that. But I'm talking about people that say they're Christians, but they are bad. 
They're angry all the time. They slander all the time. They're just cursing people out all the time. And they have the worst attitudes. They're selfish, arrogant, prideful. But yes, Lord, I'm saved. Jesus said, therefore, since Christ suffered, arm yourself with the same attitude. Guys, check your attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body has done away with sin. Now you're my thinking, go back to that verse. Jesus said, one of the evidence of salvation, you're done away with sin. But you're saying, well, pastor, I can tell you right now, I sinned last night, I sinned this morning. I'm not done with sin. None of us are done with sin. As long as you're on this earth, you will always be a sinner who sins. But that term about being done with sin is that it's no longer something you run after. It's not something you seek. I'm done with that. Notice the next verse in verse 2. As a result. As a result of what? Salvation. He does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil. Or human desires. But rather for the will of God. Not only is there a change in your attitude. There's a change in your desire. What did you desire before Jesus? Some of you can't even repeat it. But when you walk truly with Jesus, your desires begin to change. You desire to do the will of God. That word will in the Greek literally means desire. So it's interesting because when you're truly saved, you begin to desire only what God desires. You begin to desire a life that pleases Him. Your desire is no longer for yourself, what you want, your own pleasure. Your desire is no longer for evil and sin in the world. Your whole desire changes. And if you say you're saved, but your desires have not changed, you are falsely led. When you're truly saved, you have a desire to be in the Word of God. You have a desire to be in the fellowship of other believers. You have a desire to do the the will of God in a way where you're saying, Lord, I want to live for you. You show me what to do and I'll do it. Your whole desires change. But I see many people who profess to be Christians and yet their desires are not what God desires. They desire the world still. They desire the sin still. They desire everything. But God, you're not saved. As a result, he does not live the rest of his life. Live. Your whole life changes. But rather for the will of God. Look at verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. When you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, your past changes in accordance with your presence. You cannot say you're saved and at the present moment still be doing the same thing you did in your past. I am sorry, but not sorry. Your past changes. How many of you can truly say your past has changed after Jesus? How many say, oh, I don't know. There's a problem with that. You spent enough time in your past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. Notice verse 4. I love this part. They think, they, the unsaved, they think it's strange that you don't plunge in with them in the same flood of deception. Deception. 
and they heap abuse on you. To the world, they look at your life and they think you're strange. Why do they think they're strange? Not because you're one of those weirdos that, that hold up a huge sign and a megaphone. You're going to hell! We're back now! Or you have bumper stickers all over your car. Or you come both on the floor. That is strange. No, the, the unsaved, they think it's strange because you're, you're not going to go out with us. Yo, you're not going to go to the strip club anymore with us. Wait, you're not going to drink and drunk and drunk anymore. Wait a minute. You're, you're not going to, you know, you know, you're not. You're, you're not coming. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a, you're going to church this Sunday. You're not going to the playa with us. You're not going to basilar with us. You're going to church. Bro, that is strange. You? Wait a minute, you're, you're, you're going on a Bible study? You're not, wait, you, hey, bro, but you used to. Yeah, but that's not me anymore. I'm done with that. It's not me anymore. They abuse you after. Bro, you think you're better than us. Bro, you're a hypocrite because back in high school, you slept around and now... Oh, you're one of those religious people. You'll be back. You know what? This is the last time, bro. I'm not even inviting you anymore. If the world doesn't think you're strange, it's because you're just like them. And don't tell me that you're saved, yet the world welcomes you with open arms. Don't say, man, yeah, I know I'm saved, but bro, yeah, I'll be there. Don't worry about it. I'm going to be there. I'll skip church. I'll go. I'll go out with you guys. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. A little traguito here, you know. Hey, but pastor, I know I'm saved. No, it's strange that you think you are. But time's running out. You're burning out. And even when you get saved, and you and I, I meet Christians all the time, they got saved, and it's like the weekend after, they went back to their old ways, but something happened. They're saying, man, this doesn't feel right anymore. See, I, I, I think it's strange for a professing Christian to be around ungodliness and not feel like that's strange anymore. You can't be around that environment and think, I'm fine. That's why Jesus says many on that day, they're going to think they're saved. Like Judas, they're going to be in the church. They're going to walk with me. They're going to preach. They're going to do all these things. But their hearts are far. And Acts 1.18 is a frightening verse because the Bible says, Now this man acquired a field. Now see, with the money that Judas made, notice, a field was purchased with the reward of the wickedness and the falling of his doing. Notice that Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, he got paid. He got rewarded for his wickedness. And the people got his money and they bought a field. They bought property. 
And let me explain something to you. The wicked do prosper. The wicked do get rewarded. And when Judas betrayed Jesus, the first thing that happened is he got paid. Because there is a moment that not serving God, it feels rewarding. And you're going to look at people in the world that don't know Jesus and they got it better than you. They got it easier than you. But then Judas died. And now he's gnashing his teeth. Because he's saying, I was so close. Yet for my own selfishness, and because I wanted money, because I wanted power, because I wanted fame, because I wanted influence, because I was selfish and only thinking of myself, I was so close, and I missed it. Because his flame burned out. The Bible says this in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world? Let's just think for a moment. Right now, you gain the whole world. That means you get everything you've ever wanted in life. So you get the wealth, the health, and everything else. And you're powerful and influential. And you have the cars and the house and the pretty outfits and the vacation and the beautiful family. And you're on, you're on top of the world because the world, that's yours. And Jesus said, what if you would get the entire world? What benefit is it if you lose your own soul? What good is it if you have everything you've ever wanted in the world, but you're not saved? And then it says this powerful question. Is anything worth more than your soul? Can you answer that? What's possibly worth more than your soul? Nothing. Nothing in this world is worth more Not money, not pleasure, not people. Nothing is worth more than that soul you have right now. Because that soul is the only thing that when you die, spends with you for eternity. In heaven or in hell. And folks, no matter who you are, Some of you have years left. Some of you may not. But your time is running out. The moment that I started preaching, already this group of people, this group of candles already burned out. And these are still holding on. But you come back next week and all of these will be gone. Because you will die. Here's the difference about Judas that really stuck out to me. And let me close with this. Matthew 27, verse 3 to 4. When Judas 
When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest and the elders. I have sinned, he declared. For I betrayed an innocent man. And they said, what do we care? That's your problem. What stood out for me about Judas was that the Bible says he felt remorse. But I want this to be clear. Remorse is not repentance. Remorse is when you just feel bad. And you can be completely unsaved and feel bad about something you did, something you said. Judas felt bad about his sin. He knew he sinned, but he had remorse and not repentance. People can feel bad about wickedness. You can feel bad and have remorse about not serving God like you should. You can feel remorse about what you said. You can feel remorse about something you did. Some of you are in sin right now and you feel remorse. You say, man, I feel bad I did this. And you can feel all the remorse you want and never turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus. Remorse is different than repentance because repentance in the Greek is a word that literally means to change your mind about something and it causes you to turn. When you've truly repented of your sin, you look at yourself, you look at your life, you look at your sin, you don't just say, man, I feel bad. You say, Lord, this is wrong and I'm changing my mind about this. And you turn away from it and you run to Jesus. Who's the only one that can bring forgiveness. Who can only save you. Who is the only way to the Father. But see, Judas made a terrible mistake. He not only not repented, but he felt bad. And there's a lot of people that think they're saved because they feel bad about sin. But have you truly repented of your sin? And turn to Jesus. What's truly sad and breaks my heart about Judas is that he tried to make it right. Did you notice that Judas, he ran to a priest and said, I've sinned. See, Judas confessed his sin, but he confessed it to a priest who could do nothing. He said, the priest was right. That's not my problem. When you have sin in your life and you run to a priest or another man to forgive you of your sin, guess what? That very person is sinful as well and can't save you. And many people like Judas, we run to other things and other people to find forgiveness of sin. And then he threw the money at them. And he said, he tried to make it right and undo what he did. And so many people want to undo their past, undo their sin by doing something. And I'm going to give money. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do and do and do. But listen, the Bible says there is nothing you can do. For it is by faith that one is saved. By grace through Jesus Christ. It is not by works. 
But Judas tried. He confessed his sin to someone else and not Jesus. He tried to make it right and he tried to pay it off. And they said, it's not my problem. Why? Because your sin is your problem and it's no one else's. And when I think about Judas, I said, man, what if Judas... What if that moment he was filled with remorse and said, man, I feel bad about this. What if Judas, like Peter, who also did the same thing, but Peter ran to Jesus. But Judas had condemnation. He said, I can never be forgiven. And that's where the devil's tool is used. The devil's number three tool is condemnation. Condemnation is a constant reminder of sin and guilt and shame that gets you to run away from Jesus. And I asked myself, Judas, why didn't you just run to Jesus? It's because he felt condemned. And maybe you're here this morning and you have a past like no one else. Do not condemn yourself for that. But run to Jesus who says there is no condemnation to those who Christ forgives. What if Judas would have run to Jesus and said, Lord, forgive me. I've sinned against you. Church, Judas would have been forgiven. He would have been saved. And you know the most amazing thought? I believe that if Judas would have run to Jesus and turned it would not have been Paul that write a third of the New Testament. I believe it would have been Judas. I believe that Judas would have been the most influential disciple out of all of them. I believe it would have been Judas that would have started the church. It would be Judas that would preach to multitudes. Why? Because if Judas would have repented of his sin instead of just feeling bad about it, if he would have turned and run to Jesus, this would have been the greatest example of grace and mercy ever in the Bible. But the devil ran quick and said, Judas, you can never run to Jesus again. He's done with you. You went to church, Judas. You went to forward, Judas. Judas, you sang in the worship team. You preached. You went to Wednesday night Bible study. Judas, you did everything in the ministry. Judas, you grew up in the church. Judas, you went to Sunday school. Judas, you can never be forgiven. The devil loves to put condemnation. But if you realize that grace is open for anyone, why aren't you running to Jesus? Stop feeling remorse for your sin and repent of it because the hour is coming where you will have your last opportunity. But many choose not to. You're going to come to that throne. And an angel is going to look at you and say, Your name is not on here. Did you accept and confirm? Church, have you accepted the fact? That you're a sinner. And it's not by any means but Jesus that you can be forgiven and born again. 
I'm grateful you go to church. I'm grateful you're trying. But my heart breaks because I said, Lord, how many people, at least in the church, you've given me responsibility over, think they're saved, but they're not. But the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you. The Bible says that Christ so loved the world, he died on the cross for your sins. So that anyone that believes in him will have eternal life. What is it? Oh, but I believe in Jesus. So does the devil. To believe in Jesus is to believe in who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus died on the cross for my sins because in believing in Jesus, I believe, therefore, I am a sinner. Stop playing games with God. Stop playing and wagering your soul. Today is a day of salvation. Be sure of it. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Maybe you're so close yet so far. And I want to lead you in this prayer. If today you're saying, Pastor, I'm just not sure if I'm saved. I've been in this church for a year, two years, ten years, but I still don't know. But I want to be sure without a doubt. And some of you, you are Judas. Because I know that when you recognize that you truly have been walking with the Lord, but you're so far from Him. When you repent of your sins, I know the Lord is going to use you in a mighty way, and He's going to bless your life, your family. He's going to bless your destiny. But some of you are saying, well, Pastor, I'm just not sure because I've done this, I've done that, I've been so wrong. But the Lord is open and ready to receive you. It doesn't matter how wicked you are. Judas was the worst of the worst, but right there, if he would have repented of his sin, the Lord would have forgiven him. And this is the opportunity I'm giving you today. In Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure right where you're at, you put that hand up. You say, Pastor, this is the day. So I see that if no hands, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I want you all to stand to your feet with eyes still closed. This is the day of your salvation. You mark it. But right now, I want you to get brave right now. I want to pray with you. I want you to come to this altar. Because if you're not willing to step up to this altar, you're not going to step up for God in this world. Come on, you come to this altar right now. God bless you. Come on, no shame. I don't care how long you've been in this church. This is your salvation. Come on. You come on. You come on. Come on. Come on, encourage these people. Come on. You come on. Amen. I want to lead you in this prayer today. It's not the prayer that saves you, but it's your heart that the Lord listens to. 
let's all pray this together. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I'm a sinner. And I believe in who you are, Lord. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And today I will stop playing games with you. I repent and put my faith and trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Now use me because my desire will now be your desires. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's all give the Lord a round of applause, a round of praise today. God bless you guys. You guys prayed that prayer with me. Thank you so much today. If you have any questions or anything, I'm going to be right here after service. I want to talk to you guys. Let's all pray together as a church to dismiss. Your life is about to be transformed. You're about to get a whole lot stranger. (laughs) Father, thank you for this word. I pray, Lord, for those who just received you as Lord and Savior, that you would help them to keep with repentance and bear fruit. Use them in the mighty way as they go back to that world that they're dead to. And Father, I thank you for revealing the truth about their soul through me and through this church. Father, I pray for those that are outside in this church, that are our families, that are our friends, that are our co-workers, and we know they're not saved, yet we do nothing about it. Pray, Father, you give us a heart to bring them to church and evangelize to them. But we thank you, Jesus, for this miracle of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Come on, give them praise today.